This is the Mutual Audio Drama Network. The following audio drama is rated PG for parental guidance. Chatterbox Audio Theater presents Bartleby the Scrivener by Herman Melville, Part 2. The next day I noticed that Bartleby did nothing all day but stand at his window in a sort of reverie. Upon asking him why he did not write, he responded, I have decided upon doing no more writing. How now? Do no more writing? No more. And what is the reason? I have given up copying. You have given it up? That is correct. But despite this, he remained as ever a fixture in my chamber. What was to be done? He would do nothing in the office. Why should he stay there? In plain fact, he had now become a millstone to me, afflictive to bear. Yet I was sorry for him. If he would but have named a single relative or friend, I would instantly have written and urged there taking the poor fellow away to some convenient retreat. But he seemed alone, absolutely alone in the universe, a bit of wreck in the mid-Atlantic. At length, however, necessities connected with my business trumped all other considerations. Decently as I could, I told Bartleby that in six days' time he must unconditionally leave the office. I warned him to take measures in the interval for procuring some other abode. I offered to assist him in this endeavor, if he himself would but take the first step towards a removal. And when you finally quit me, Bartleby, I told him, I shall see that you do not go away entirely unprovided. Six days from this hour. Remember... expiration of that period, I peeped into his office, and lo, Bartleby was there. Bartleby, the time has come. You must quit this place. I am sorry for you, but you must go. I would prefer not to. You must. Bartleby, I owe you twelve dollars on account. Here are thirty-two. The odd twenty are yours. Will you take it? I will leave it here, then. After you have removed your things from these offices, Bartleby, you will, of course, lock the door, since everyone is gone for the day but you, and, if you please, slip your key underneath the mat, so that I may have it in the morning. I shall not see you again, so goodbye to you. If hereafter in your new place of abode I can be of any service to you, do not fail to advise me by letter. Goodbye, Bartleby, and fare you well. Of course it will work. He will go, uh... He will almost certainly go. I'll take odds he doesn't. Doesn't go? Done. Uh, put up your money. Say, who are you talking to? We're taking odds on the election. Oh, of course. Uh, uh, my mistake. Very sorry. Uh, very, very sorry. The next morning came. Bartleby? Bartleby? Well, thank God. It was only Not yet. I am occupied. What? Not gone? Bartleby. Bartleby, I am seriously displeased. I am pained, Bartleby. I had thought better of you. I had imagined you of such a gentlemanly disposition that in any delicate dilemma a slight hint would suffice. But it appears I am deceived. Why, you have not even touched the money yet. Well... 
Will you or will you not quit me? I would prefer not to quit you. What earthly right have you to stay here? Do you pay any rent? Do you pay my taxes? Or is this property yours? Are you ready to go on and write now? Could you copy a small paper for me this morning? Or help examine a few lines? Or, or step round to the post office? In a word, will you do anything, anything at all, to justify your refusal to depart the premises? A new commandment give I unto you, that you love one another. Love one another. Love one another. Some days now passed, during which I gradually slid into the persuasion that these troubles of mine had been predestined from eternity, and that Bartleby was billeted upon me for some mysterious purpose of an all-wise providence, which it was not for a mere mortal like me to fathom. Yes, Bartleby, stay there behind your door, thought I. I shall persecute you no longer. You are harmless and noiseless as any of these old chairs. In short, I never feel so private as when I know you are here. I am content. Others may have loftier parts to enact, but my mission in this world, Bartleby, is to furnish you with office room for such a period as you may see fit to remain. I came by earlier to ask where you were, and he would not even look me in the eye. He just stood there, gazing at the window. We'll need them, of course, before we can continue. You there, will you run down to my chambers and fetch a document for me? Do you hear me? I'm speaking to you! I would prefer not to. What's the meaning of this? He would prefer not to. It is nearly impossible for any one of them to get anything done. It's a disgrace, another embarrassment. I shouldn't wonder if he loses the whole business because of it. I hear the man even sleeps there. He has a proper home. Nowhere to go. Eventually, however, I became aware that all through the circle of my professional acquaintance a whisper of wonder was running round in reference to the strange creature I was keeping at my office. This worried me. The idea came upon me of Bartleby turning out a long-lived man and continuing to occupy my chambers and deny my authority and perplex my visitors and scandalize my professional reputation and cast a general gloom over the premises, in the end perhaps outliving me and claiming possession of my office by right of his perpetual occupancy. As these dark anticipations crowded upon me more and more, and as my friends continually intruded their relentless remarks upon the apparition in my room, a great change was wrought in me. I resolved to gather all of my faculties together and forever rid myself of this intolerable incubus. But what should I do? What does conscience say I should do with this man, or rather this ghost? Rid myself of him I must. Go he shall. But how? You will not thrust him, the poor, pale, passive mortal. You will not thrust such a helpless creature out of your door. You will not dishonor yourself by such cruelty. No, I will not. I cannot do that. Rather would I let him live and die here, and then mason up his remains in the wall. What then will you do? For all your coaxing, he will not budge. Bribes he leaves under your own paperweight, on your own table. In short, it is quite plain that he prefers to cling to you. Then something severe, something unusual must be done. 
What? Surely you will not have him collared by a constable, and commit his innocent pallor to a common jail? And upon what ground could you procure such a thing to be done? A vagrant, is he? A vagrant, a wanderer who refuses to budge? Who has heard of such a thing? It is because he will not be a vagrant that you seek to count him as a vagrant. No visible means of support? No, for doubtless he does support himself, though admittedly at your own expense. No more, then. Since he will not quit me, I must quit him. I will change my offices. I will move elsewhere. I will give him fair notice that if I find him on my new premises, I will then proceed against him as a common trespasser. The next day, then, I addressed him accordingly. Bartleby, Bartleby, I find these chambers too far from City Hall. The air is unwholesome. In a word, I propose to remove my offices and shall no longer require your services. I tell you this now in order that you may seek another place. Good luck to you. On the appointed day, I engaged carts and men, proceeded to my chambers, and, having but little furniture, everything was removed in a few hours. Throughout, the scrivener remained standing in the corner, perfectly still. The last item was removed, leaving him the sole motionless occupant of a naked room. I stood in the entry watching him a moment while something from within upbraided me. Goodbye, Bartleby. I am going. Goodbye, and may God some way bless you. And then, strange to say, I tore myself from him whom I had so longed to be rid of. Established in my new quarters, for a day or two I kept the door locked and started at every footfall in the passage. When I returned to my rooms, after any little absence, I would pause at the threshold for an instant and attentively listen ere applying my key. But these fears were needless. Bartleby never showed up. I thought all was going well when a perturbed-looking stranger visited me on a certain quiet afternoon. <coughs> Are you the person who recently occupied rooms at Number 10 Wall Street? I, why, yes, I am. Then, sir, you are responsible for the man you left there. He refuses to do any copying. Indeed, he refuses to do anything. He says he prefers not to, and he refuses to quit the premises. I'm very sorry, sir, but really the man you allude to is nothing to me. He is no relation or apprentice of mine that you should hold me responsible for him. In Mercy's name, who is he? I certainly cannot inform you. I know very little about him. Formerly I employed him as a copyist, but he has done nothing for me now for some time past. Well, in that case, I shall settle him myself. Good morning, sir. Several days passed, and I heard nothing more. All is over with him by this time, thought I at last, when after another week no further word had reached me. But coming to my room the day after, I found several persons waiting at my door, all in a state of nervous excitement. That, that's the man! Here he comes! You must take him away, sir, at once. 
These gentlemen, my tenants cannot stand it any longer. Mr. Bailey has turned him out of his room and now persists in haunting the building generally, sending upon the banisters of the stair by day and sleeping in the entry by night. Everybody is concerned. Clients are leaving the offices. Some fears are entertained of a mob. Something you must do without delay. But, sir, as I have told this gentleman already, the man is nothing to me. He was recently in your employ. You know him better than anyone. You must do something, else the papers shall hear about this. Please, please, uh, let us not lose our heads. If you will grant me a confidential interview with the Scrivener in your offices, I will strive to rid you of the nuisance you complain of. Why, then we shall go now. I will take you there straight away. What are you doing here, Bartleby? Sitting upon the banister. Bartleby, are you aware that you are the cause of great tribulation to me by persisting in occupying this building after being dismissed from my office? Now, one of two things must take place. Either you must do something, or something must be done to you. Tell me, what sort of business would you like to engage in? Would you like to re-engage in copying for someone? No, I would prefer not to make any change. Would you like a clerkship, perhaps, in a dry goods store? There is too much confinement about that. No, I would not like a clerkship. But I'm not particular. Too much confinement? Why, you keep yourself confined all the time. I would prefer not to take a clerkship. How would a bartender's business suit you? I would not like it at all. Though, as I said before, I'm not particular. Well, then, would you like to travel through the country collecting bills for the merchants? That would improve your health. No, I would prefer to be doing something else. How, then, would going as a companion to Europe to entertain some young traveler with your conversation? How would that suit you? Not at all. It does not strike me that there is anything definite about that. I like to be stationary, but I'm not particular. Stationary you shall be, then. If you do not go away from these premises before nighttime, I, I shall feel bound, indeed I, I am bound, to, to, to quit the premises myself. <clears throat> Bartleby, will you go with me now, not to my office, but to my dwelling, and remain there until we can conclude upon some convenient arrangement for you at our leisure? Come, let us start now, right away. No. No? No, at present I would prefer not to make any change at all. To this I answered nothing, but instead rushed from the building, running up Wall Street towards Broadway and jumping onto the first omnibus. As soon as tranquility returned, I reflected that I had now done all that I possibly could, both in respect to the demands of the landlord and his tenants, and with regard to my own desire and sense of duty to benefit Bartleby and to shield him from persecution. I now strove to be entirely carefree and quiescent, and my conscience justified me in the attempt, though indeed it was not so successful as I could have wished. So fearful was I of again being hunted out by the landlord and his exasperated tenants that, surrendering my business to nippers for a few days, I drove about the upper part of the town and through the suburbs, crossed over to Jersey City and Hoboken, and paid visits to Manhattanville and Astoria. Here is the key to your room. If you will please sign the register. Yes, <clears throat> yes, uh, thank you. Very good, sir. And at what time would you prefer to take your breakfast? I... what did you ask me? 
I asked at what time you'd prefer to take your breakfast. I'm sorry, I'm very sorry. I seem to have made a mistake. I really must be going. I'm very sorry. When again I entered my office, lo, a note from the landlord lay upon the desk. I opened it with trembling hands. Dear sir, this note is to inform you that due to the continuing stubborn presence of the gentleman you recently employed, I was forced to send for the police. The gentleman has been sent to the prison as a vagrant. Since you know more about him than anyone else, I ask that you appear at the halls of justice in order to make a suitable statement of the facts. I shall anticipate your full cooperation. Officer. Yes, sir? I am here to make a statement against Bartleby. Who, sir? The gentleman who was removed from number 10 Wall Street for being a vagrant. Ah, yes, sir. I remember he's a strange one, that. Is he here? Yes, sir. In the yard. The yard? Yes, sir. The harmless one, such as itself, we'd let wander some in the yard. I should like to see him. Of course, sir. Right this way. He... He is a perfectly honest man, you know, and greatly to be pitied, however unaccountably eccentric. On my way out, I shall recount to you all that I know. Right, and then, here we are. Bartleby. I know you, and I have nothing to say to you. It was not I that brought you here, Bartleby. And to you, this should not be so vile a place. It is quiet, and you are allowed to go undisturbed. And see, it is not so sad a place as one might think. Look, there is the sky, and here is the grass. I know where I am. After this, he would say nothing more, so I left him. As I strolled across the yard, a broad, meat-like man, clad in an apron, accosted me. Pardon me, sir. That your friend there? It is? Does he want to starve? If he does, let him live on the prison fare. That should do the trick. Who are you? The grub man. Such gentlemen as have friends here often hire me to provide them with something good to eat. Otherwise, they get only what's slopped out for them. Is that so? Well then, here is some money. I want you to give particular attention to my friend there. Let him have the best dinner he can get. Yes, sir. Uh, introduce me, will you? Cutlets is the name. Of course. Bartleby, Bartleby, this is Mr. Cutlets. You will find him very useful to you. Your servant, sir. Your servant. Hope you find it pleasant here, sir. Spacious grounds, cool apartments, sir. I hope you'll stay with us sometime. Try to make it agreeable. May Mrs. Cutlets and I have the pleasure of your company to dinner, sir, in Mrs. Cutlets' private room. I prefer not to dine today. How's this? Prefer not to dine? He's an odd one, Amy. I fear he is a little deranged. Deranged? Deranged, is it? Well, now, upon my word, I thought that friend of yours was a gentleman forger. They're always pale and genteel like them forgers. Now, I can't help pity him. Can't help it, sir. Did you know Monroe Edwards? He died of consumption at Thing Thing. You weren't acquainted with Monroe? No, I was never socially acquainted with any forgers. But I cannot stop longer. Look to my friend. You will not lose by it. I will see you again.
few days after this, I again obtained admission to the prison and went through the corridors in quest of Bartleby, but I could not find him. I saw him coming from his cell not long ago. Maybe he's gone to wander in the yards. Are you looking for your friend, the silent man? Yonder he lies, sleeping in the yard there. Tis not twenty minutes since I saw him lie down. Strangely huddled at the base of the wall, his knees drawn up, and lying on his side, his head touching the cold stones, I saw the wasted Bartleby. But nothing stirred. I paused, then went close up to him, stooped over, and saw that his dim eyes were open. Otherwise he seemed profoundly sleeping. Something prompted me to touch him. I felt his hand when a tingling shiver ran up my arm and down my spine to my feet. His dinner is ready. Won't he dine today either, or does he live without dining? Lives without dining. He's... he's asleep, ain't he? With kings and counselors. would seem little need for proceeding further in this history. Imagination will readily supply the meager details of poor Bartleby's interment. But, ere parting with the listener, let me say that if this little narrative has sufficiently interested him to awaken curiosity as to who Bartleby was and what manner of life he led prior to my making his acquaintance, I can only reply that in such curiosity I fully share, but am wholly unable to gratify it. Yet I shall divulge one small item of rumor which came to my ear a few months after the Scrivener's decease. Upon what basis it rests I could never ascertain, and hence how true it is I cannot tell. The report was this, that Bartleby had been a subordinate clerk in the dead letter office at Washington, from which he had been suddenly removed by a change in the administration. When I think over this rumor, I cannot adequately express the emotions which seize me. Dead letters... Does it not sound like dead men? Conceive a man by nature and misfortune prone to a pallid hopelessness. Can any business seem more fitted to heighten it than that of continually handling these dead letters and assorting them for the flames? For by the cartload they are annually burned. Sometimes from out the folded paper the pale clerk takes a ring, the finger it was meant for already moulders in the grave. A banknote sent in swiftest charity... He whom it would relieve neither eats nor hungers any more. Pardon for those who died despairing, hope for those who died unhoping, good tidings for those who died stifled by unrelieved calamities. On errands of life, these letters speed to death. Ah, Bartleby. Ah, humanity. <laughs> listening to Chatterbox Audio Theater's production of Bartleby the Scrivener by Herman Melville, featuring Bill Short as Bartleby, 
Robert Arnold as the narrator, Alan Busby as the landlord, Ralph Hatley as the officer, and Joe Vescovo as Mr. Cutlets. Sound effects by Aaron McGee. Music adapted and performed by Catherine Whitfield. Dramaturgy by Karen Strawn. Produced by Andrew Sullivan. Adapted and directed by Robert Arnold. This is your announcer, Tom Badgett. Chatterbox Audio Theater is a nonprofit, web based community theater that advances the exchange of ideas by channeling creativity and artistic collaboration into recorded audio works that enlighten, entertain, and inspire. Download all of our shows free at www.chatterboxtheater.org. Think of all the things that cause you stress every day. Traffic, the office, the family. All this stress causes headache pain. When you feel a stress headache coming on, reach for new, improved Calmofed. But aspirin upsets my stomach. Don't worry. There's no aspirin in Calmofed. And caffeine makes me jittery. No problem. There's no caffeine in Calmofed either. I just don't trust all those buffers and extra ingredients. Chill out, you big weenie. Huh? There are no artificial ingredients or chemicals in Calmofed. Okay? Oh, okay. Give it here. I'll try some. Let me pull out the cotton and... Hey, hey, the cotton's the only thing in the bottle. That's right. Just stick it in your ears. Oh, okay. Now the stress that causes headaches is gone. Isn't that right, you paranoid wimp? What? Calmofed. Absolutely no artificial ingredients. Mm-hmm. No harmful ingredients. No ingredients at all. What? Use only as directed. Do not use in the path of heavy machinery. Calmofed. Don't you feel calmer already? The Mutual Audio Network. Listening and imagining together.